before the record, our bi-weekly show in which we take one recently released album and take a deep dive into it. You can listen to us every other Thursday at 9.30 a.m. on BFF.fm or subscribe to the podcast at ForTheRecordPodcast.com. This time we're talking about the sixth album from New Jersey trio Screaming Females. It's called Rose Mountain and it starts like this. statement where they come in with this sludgy guitar and then that's married to these super clear punchy vocals and the feeling i got out of it was very 90s and very kind of grunge that's interesting because screaming females usually gets tagged as a punk band but i thought this was very much an old school classic rock black sabbath era heavy sound and in fact the producer on this record his name is matt bales and he's more of a metal guy he worked with mastodon and isis and some of those I don't know what you call that genre, but like modern alternative metal bands, alt alt metal. Uh, that alt is such a degraded yeah, yeah, term yeah. at this point. But yeah, for whatever reason, as I said, I got kind of this grunge vibe. And but the interesting thing for me is that I always have viewed grunge as sort of something that took the energy of metal, but kind of tamed some of the excesses that we saw in the '80s, and then combined that with the directness of punk, and. You know, I'm thinking that coming to this song and then t- I think the last 25 seconds or so, suddenly we go from that into 80s hair metal guitar solo. Yeah, so that is to me a very 80s hair metal sound, but also just really good like that is some good guitar work and i think it's great for the first track to provide such a faint where it's like, oh it's going to be 90s grunge oh no wait actually it's metal and it's just the sense of you know don't trust your expectations we're going somewhere different from what you expect yeah it's also kind of a good reminder right there in the first track that marissa paternoster who's the vocalist and front woman of this band is considered by a lot of people one of the most talented guitarists in her age group she's only like maybe 30 and she just shreds And then she really lets loose on this next track, which is called Right.
was actually not aware of the producer, and I guess that means that I didn't do my homework. <laughs> but hearing that, it's kind of interesting because whereas in that first song, I really heard kind of 80s hair metal, this song is really founded on this super catchy guitar riff that to me screamed 21st century metal. Like it felt very contemporary and modern. And then I think pairing that with these vocals and on the first song that are super clear, really high up in the mix, super loud. And apparently my word for this episode is super, but, (laughs) uh, but that's kind of how I felt listening to this album. It's just such a kind of energetic experience. And these lyrics are part of that. The vocals are part of that, that they're particularly staccato. (laughs) Yep. I almost said super again. That's just how I feel that, but it's, it's almost over enunciated and it Mm -hmm. has kind of this old fashioned feel, but it's very refreshing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting change from their last album, which was produced by Steve Albini. And that one, you know, as is his kind of style capture, tried to capture more of their live sound and was not as, crisp you know there were a lot of squeaks and it felt very kind of organic whereas the production on this album is just very clean and very slick yes that it's very aggressive but it also sounds bright Mm -hmm. and and i think it's nice to have that contrast of that brightness with these lyrics that are especially in this song i think pretty dang dark Although it's, I think one of the odd things about this song for me is that it has two dominant metaphors that don't really fit together. There's the fruit and I mean the title of the song Ripe. And there's this reference to, you know, peel the skin raw, pinch till the feeling's gone. It's just really kind of scary. And then also a significant discussion of wild horses and trying to time these wild horses and this great lyric, the reins are chains and I have lost, lost my grip. Yeah, I felt like this is the first song that really deals directly with what this whole album is about, which is that Marissa Paternoster was really sick for over a year. And she said in interviews that she had mono, but then also had complications to it. And I don't really get I didn't really understand the full picture, but she was in a lot of physical pain and they had to cancel their tour. And it basically kind of derailed everything for them for an extended period of time because she was just kind of housebound. And so she has said that this album is about the frustration of being tied to a physical body that's just not doing what you want it to and that you can't really control. And so there's a lot of imagery throughout this album about the body that's very visceral and also very angry. Certainly these first two tracks, very, very angry. But, you know, I talked about that uh, kind of left turn in the first song. I think coming out of these two first songs, the album throws us another left turn that we come into a very different sound in the next song, Wishing Well.
this is such a great transition from a super aggressive song to this beautiful guitar melody and a much gentler vocal style. Yeah, it's gentler. And I think one of the things that's, uh, for me, interesting is that it's almost like a jazzy sound. And then the vocals are still really strong, but something we didn't hear on the first two tracks, but I think becomes increasingly prominent over the course of the album is this vibrato on Marissa Paternoster's voice that just shows that she can sing really strongly without it and with it. And she just has that degree of control over her voice as an instrument. And I think this song, I mentioned the jazziness at the beginning, and there's some really interesting harmonics at the end of the song and that sort of richness in the sound. And then similarly, the lyrically, I think is, this is one of the sort of deepest songs for me that I felt like I was getting the most out of because she's, talking about these experiences of, you know, I think trying to force herself into a mold because she talks about the wishing well and that she's, I'm wearing all these rings and I, how do you say, I'm wearing all of these rings. I'm less than feet or fodder. It's like, I'm trying to be this feminine ideal of jewelry and pretty. And I just feel worthless doing that. And all of this idea of uh, just tell me what to, you want me to do and I'll do it. And mm-hmm. I'll just let me try again and I'll be sweeter. And that the sense of it being this wishing well, where it's like she's just wishing for the best and throwing coins in. And sort of each coin is this new relationship. Well, it's like, well, I'll try again. I'll try again. And now she's broke. It's like she keeps trying and it just never works. And it's really pretty and really sad. You mentioned that her, she had so much control over her voice. And one of the things that I think is amazing, too, is that she's doing that while she's, like, kicking ass on the guitar. And I can't even sing, like, basic, like, remember lyrics while I'm playing rhythm guitar, barely. Yeah. So I, that's very impressive to me. So let's move on to the next track, which is called Burning Car. I'll twist my neck in the news while the night shows the band's range that there's this understated verse and then a I almost said super again a catchy and very rocking chorus and between them there's this very poppy woo sound and then in the bridge becomes this syncopated almost experimental quiet moment and then this use of that you know where before it was a poppy woo now it becomes this almost operatic whoa 
and just these different dynamics, different tempos, different styles, and they all work together. Yeah, I think the drumming is what makes it work and holds it all together. And I think for most of this record, the drumming is competent but doesn't really stand out at all. And I think this song gives the drummer the chance to demonstrate his skill because the way he's able to manipulate the pace and the intensity and ramp it up and down throughout the song is what really made it work. Yeah, I think so much is going on in this song. And then I think if there's a an issue I have with the album, maybe is that so many of them, it just... I think the lyrics are very clear, but just not, they don't jump out at me. And I think we've discussed before that I'm not the most lyrically focused, but I just felt here that, you know, each song would typically have one or two sort of moments, but they didn't really cohere for me. Like here's, there's this great lyric. There's ways to fix a broken sound with my head in the sky and my ear to the ground. And it's just very poetic and evocative and gives me the sense that they're thinking big lyrically but I'm not quite sure what they're thinking just that it's big yeah I know she tries not to be very literal in her songwriting and I think that's a problem that you can run into when you're trying not to be too literal that you it it's really unclear what your point is well I think one of the things we you know when we do this podcast we listen to the albums a number of times and it doesn't jump out at me during the first you know, and listens if that's 10 or 20 times, but this is a really catchy album. Maybe I'll listen to it more times and then, you know, these things will sink in over time. And I think better to be too vague and have those meanings come in and be open to interpretation than to be too literal. So I think overall a good thing to be thinking big and thinking poetic in that way. Well, well, I don't, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with being too literal. And I, I often call attention to the best lyricist of our generation, who's John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats, and how, you know, you can get extremely specific and extremely writerly in your lyrics and have them be fantastic. It's just an artistic choice. Yes. Few of us, uh, few people out there have his skill, but there's range for all kinds. But I think in addition to kind of thinking big lyrically, I think they're also thinking big about other parts of the songwriting process. And in this next song, we'll hear them playing with song structure in the song Broken Neck.
One of the challenges we face doing this podcast is picking the right section of a song to play. And I think it's, it speaks to the quality of music that you can't pick, you know, half a minute or a minute and sometimes even a minute and a half and feel like you got the whole song. And I think that's really the case on a lot of these songs on this album. And this one in particular, I feel like a lot of, a lot of stuff is happening. But I think this clip that we got manages to capture, I think, some of the changes that are going on here. And I think structurally, most songs, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and the chorus is really where you kind of anchor the song. That's catchy, and it is where it stays the same. The lyrics stay the same. Musically, it stays the same. And I think here, structurally, where the choruses should be, and I think of them as choruses, each time it's completely different. And and I think what we heard at the beginning there was a little bit of a almost jazzy chorus coming into the verse. And then this the next chorus super rocking and I said it super again because that's my word for this album and then just drums and that there's over the course of this song you have these verses that become more and more quiet and more and more restrained the energy is just kind of draining out of them and then as we go the choruses are becoming more and more energetic each time totally different including as I mentioned that jazzy section those are not rock chords and they somehow work but that transition and that motion over the course of the song i think is kind of interesting they're trying different ideas with song structure yeah i think this is one of those tracks where you can tell that this album is the first one where they really sat down and figured out things like song structure and melody and planned things in advance more rather than just getting to kind of you know getting together and jamming and letting the songs come together that way and I think the result is that these song structures are more interesting and more sophisticated, which is nice to see. The next song, which is the title track, also has a structure that's pretty interesting and creative. And there are a number of different parts here working together. So let's hear that. out with this very ominous very metal sounding intro for about the first minute and then it completely breaks down into this really pretty almost jazzy melody yeah i feel maybe a little bit of a broken record celebrating the band's range but here we just yeah we hear metal jazz pop you know with this catchy chorus and there's just this complete mastery of so many elements the melodies are super super i gotta keep saying it pretty just very very pretty (laughs) just tight, tight guitar chops, really interesting harmonies, uh, different strong structures. They're just, as songwriters, the complete package. And, you know, lyrically, you know, I mentioned every song having these standout moments. And here we just have this great bit of, I'm nothing like the others. My grave is deep. I'm walking on the moon. And it's 
pretty emo, but it just works. <laughs> and one thing I, I did notice on this song and wanted to call out is you talked about the drums not standing out. Mm. And I think the way that they use backing vocals similarly is very understated and I think easy to miss because Marissa Paternoster has such a strong voice but at various points you listen carefully you realize there's another voice backing her up and just making it that much stronger and that much richer and just bumping up the impact of these songs through the roof. Another one of the touches on this track that I liked is at the end of the the song there's this weird organ that comes in and it shouldn't work but it just really provides a nice spooky outro to that song and then that segues into the next track which is called Hopeless as a breakup song but Ms. Paternoster said in interviews that this is a song she wrote when she was sick about wanting to break up with her body and you can just feel the frustration in this analogy to being in a codependent bad relationship with someone that you just can't get away from there's a line when I sit back and think of how I used to be there ain't nothing left to do but dream and it's just so sad and it really conveys how frustrating this must have been for her and there's this song and then the penultimate track which is called it's not fair and that title really sums it up for what she's trying to express here yeah she sings so powerfully about powerlessness and i think this song if there's a ballad on the album this is it mm. and i think appropriately i think the, the vibrato i mentioned earlier really comes out here and it just feels so sad emotional and there's just but there's the sweetness to it. And I think most of the album for all of the aggression is really pretty and sweet. And I think because I'm noticing that here and calling attention to that there, I also feel compelled to point out this section of the next song, Triumph. I'll stretch to
song is also a showcase for the bassist. You know, we talked about the drummer being subtle and the backing vocals being subtle. I think the bassist, not flashy at all, but in this song is up front and is able to carry the song. And even though this is maybe not one of my favorite tracks on the album overall, not completely successful, this particular section we just heard, I love this section because there's this well-done dissonance that builds. And I think it could have been a muddy mess uh, dissonance is really hard to pull off successfully, but because the production is so clean, because the voice is so strong, the, it's not a mess. It's this effective tension, which then resolves into yet another badass guitar solo. Yeah, I think that's a good way to sum up the album, at least for me, is that there's this really expert balancing of the tension between the heaviness of the guitar and the rhythms that are almost like a metal sound with the theatricality of her voice and then the more quiet moments that are just really melodic and pretty. And I feel like while it's maybe not a good thing for her personally that the band had to be (laughs) sidelined during her illness, I think it's really forced them to slow down and be more thoughtful about their songwriting and song structure. And I think the time to that's, you know, forced them to stop touring and just kind of spend some time with each other practicing and playing music has helped improve their focus and will really benefit them over the long run. Yeah, to look at this album that there's throughout the course of it, there's this urgency and emotion. And of course, let's not forget those guitar solos Mm. and also a variety of these styles from metal to pop to jazz. And from start to finish, they're just under control. Everything is under control. So much energy under complete control. And they managed to make everything really catchy. And I think from start to finish, we'll go out with the last song, Criminal Image. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.